Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy. And one of the issues that we face as therapists, and especially in the private practice realm, is balancing out business decisions with clinical decisions. And sometimes our clients reach places in treatment where it doesn't always necessarily jive with what our business plan is or what our scheduling might be. And it's really an area that I think that some people make some decisions that just don't gel with the ethics code. Some people force issues into the clinical treatment. Some people make decisions that create a whole new clinical treatment altogether. And this is something that we're hoping to explore today. So Katie has a few points that she wanted to make sure that we hit on. And so Katie, what's the first one? Well, I think the first one is actually coming from the other angle, which is looking at treatment strategies or, or you know, kind of in some ways evidence-based treatment or treatment that is indicated that doesn't necessarily fall exactly in line with some typical, I guess, business or ethics codes. I mean, and I think it's something where we're going to talk about it and it's fine, but I think some people will have a treatment plan that, for example, mandates parent involvement or a specific number of treatment sessions to occur or at a specific timing. And it's based on evidence-based practices, but if it's not talked about up front, it can be something where it feels coercive or those kinds of things. And so I just wanted to take a little bit of time, especially around working with kids, because that's that's your wheelhouse. I've supervised it, but you are in it <laughs> in private practice. Um, but talking about when you have, when you're mandating parent involvement in treatment, you know, specific types of, of treatment based on your clinical model, how do you make sure that you're not stepping across and, and becoming coercive in that? Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I think that really from having been in this type of practice for a very long time, that this comes back to your initial interview and your intake session that really during that process, what you're hoping to accomplish is being able to define the unit of treatment. And there's a number of parents that are very eager to join into treatment with me. And I think that it might be a good idea, especially if it's reinforcing what I'm working on with their child during our therapeutic sessions. There's also parents that are less than willing to get involved and are just kind of there of like a, hey, fix my kid sort of situation. Yeah. And more often than not, not all the time, that's usually a pretty good indicator of like, we are going to need some parent involvement here. And so it does (laughs) 
lead into some sort of a conversation about what the best way of going about therapeutic treatment is. Really, so much of what I started looking at when Katie brought up this episode idea to me is that these decisions need to be based on what the medical need or what the therapeutic need of the client is. And that's really something where part of this might be informed by your theories. Katie and I are both marriage and family therapists. We're going to look at relationships and especially with kids, the influence of their parents on the situation. That's part of our training. We're more likely going to look at things through that lens just from a very natural standpoint. And I think that that's part of the conversation with parents in making that decision is I think that through these relationships, through these changes in your family system, we're going to be able to see the desired outcomes with your child. And I think that that's wonderful because I think if you're really, if you have a thoughtful clinical practice, it makes sense. It's something where parents, if you've described it well enough, hopefully will will sign on. But I think the difficulty for me, and, and this is something I've talked about with one of my consulting clients, is, is if parents have said yes, they said, hey, I'm going to do this thing, and then they don't schedule the parent coaching calls, or they don't schedule the family sessions, or they drop off the kid at the office, or you know, whatever that is. If they, if they say, yes, I've signed up, and then they're not participating, what is your clinical responsibility at that point? Because from a business model, if people aren't accessing services and they're not getting, you know, benefit from treatment, obviously this is also clinical, but it, it's something where if, if you're not showing good results, you're not going to necessarily get the additional referrals. You potentially are having fewer sessions than what they, you know, they have committed to that kind of stuff. So it can have business impacts, but certainly it'll have clinical impacts. But at what point do you say, hey, you're not compliant with the model. I need to, to discontinue treatment unless you're willing to step up. And, and what are your risks in that? Because I think parents oftentimes, especially when the clinical need is high, my kids all over the place, constantly getting suspended at school or whatever, those types of things that parents will say, yes, do everything. I need you to help me fix my kid, even if it's, <laughs> even it's still fix my kid. But I think it's something where once things start getting a little bit calmer, potentially, or time just continues on and parents get overwhelmed, they may not feel the need or may not feel the, that, like they have the bandwidth to do the additional stuff that they agreed to at the beginning. And can you terminate? Does it make sense? There's several questions that you brought up. And I think that probably the temporally, the earliest one that makes sense to answer here is if a family that you've agreed to do family work on is not responding on the family end of things, when do you bring this up? Early. The yes. answer is early. Yeah. And this is either a conversation of here's the frame of how we've agreed to work. If we need to change the frame, then that's a decision that we need to make. But you as the client are not following through on what you've agreed upon in our plan. And this gets back into that therapeutic alliance of how well we're both working on the therapeutic plan together. Yeah. And I'm a huge fan of making that process overt and out loud and on the same page as the client. So that way we can go back and fix that as soon as possible. To answer what do you do with that, some clinicians are going to be able to re-theorize, re-change things. They might be willing to work with the child more one-on-one -on -one and have kind of sporadic parenting questions going on. 
some people really do hold the frame of what they set out with at the very beginning. And one example that I know of who does this extremely well is somebody based here in the Los Angeles area, Angela Caldwell. We overlap in working with self-harm in a lot of ways, and her approach is entirely family systems-based. And she says from the very beginning, I am only going to work from a family systems perspective, and I'm only going to work with family systems. And that's fantastic. And she does an excellent job of that. I have a ton of respect for her on that. She also says, if you don't want to do this, I'm going to refer you out to people who are willing to work with you individually. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's a very good, healthy boundary from the very beginning because she is setting up the expectations of what her expertise and what her background is. I'm willing to work with clients on an individual basis in the system. And even as a family therapist, as a family systems person, I'm more flexible in my ideas of how I can approach treating these very same clients. And I think that it's an individual choice that's a difference between her and myself. And I think that we find ways to make each of our practices successful in that way. But what we have in common is that we're both willing to talk to the family system and say, hey, you're not doing your part of the job or you're not meeting this expectation and this is something that needs to be addressed. And I think that a lot of therapists are too shy or too introverted to really stand up, especially early in a relationship with a client or a family in order to really set that parameter very early on for the success of treatment. And so I see that as, as very positive, And I think that was a really good example to describe how people can approach the same problem in a different way. Because I think if you have the flexibility to continue on, you want it to be overt and, and direct. You don't want to just kind of fall into that because then there's the frame has been broken and you haven't really addressed it. But I think when you're able to say, hey, you didn't do this, so let's rethink how we're working. Or it sounds like in Angela's case, you aren't doing what you agreed to do. So I'm going to need to refer you out. I think that 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 seems very clear. I think it's something where there are, you know, potentially therapists can be shy or conflict avoidant, but I think there's also other aspects of that where therapists could be very overwhelmed, have really full practices and start realizing, wait a second, this, this family hasn't shown up in the way they're supposed to show up. Or it could be that parents start ghosting you. And so (laughs) I think it's something where when that happens, I don't know exactly how to ask the question, I guess. When that happens, when, when you're trying to address the boundary, all of those things, can you put the parameter forward? Like if you do not respond, if you do not show up, if you do not do the thing that you promised to do, I am going to discontinue treatment. I think therapists are also scared of abandoning kids because there's potentially self-harm, really destructive behaviors. There can be stuff where we get really caught. And I think that there's both clinical implications to that as well as business implications to that. And I think when we focus on the business implications, like, hey, parents aren't showing up, they're not doing their their part, they're not paying for sessions, or they're not doing, you know, like they're not scheduling the sessions that they need to schedule, if we focus on that aspect and say, hey, I've got people on my waiting list, I need to, to move this family that's non-compliant out, we start getting side-eye from, you know, kind of the, the law and ethics folks. But if we talk about it from a clinical parameter, there's, there's some hope there. But I think it's, it's we have to address both, both, I think. I think that there's a couple of different therapist feelings that go into making these decisions. One of them is fear. 
I think mm-hmm. there's a fear of speaking up. There's a fear of really challenging somebody, a fear of losing clients. And that one ventures into the business and very, very quickly, but a fear of losing income. There's also a fear of the client who in this case is a minor may not get the support they need too. And from that clinical end, if you have clients who are not following through on their treatment, who aren't showing up, who are chronically canceling sessions, even appropriately with with your cancellation policy, but just aren't showing up very often, it's something where you really do need to look at yourself and to be like, am I able to provide the services that this client needs? And I, I think that some people in the field are getting better at this, but I think overall, one of the aspects of a lot of therapists is that we tend to client blame in these situations when it might be something that's structural to our business. One of the things that's really come up in the last year or so with uh, everything that Katie and I are doing, the conference, the podcasts, our advocacy work is that my schedule is not as open. And so I'm not able to take on clients that I was before and who, who might need to start with two or three sessions a week. And while that would be an awesome business decision, if they were able to afford my fees for that kind of service, I have to look at something from the very beginning of like, I can't provide that level yeah. of service. That's not only happening just at the beginning of treatment with clients, but that's also happening mid-treatment and towards the end of treatment as well. And a lot of times where we see this is when clients are kind of reaching the end of their therapy goals. They don't necessarily want to commit to every week sessions. They might be moving to every other week just for kind of support or to see if the interventions have stuck through. Uh, A lot of times I see this when I'm working with kids who are being bullied and we go through a number of different steps and practices and then they've got like a camp or something that's coming up and it doesn't make sense to see them every week, but they want to brush up sort of a couple of sessions that it's when it's kind of left undefined in those situations that, yeah, scheduling gets a lot harder. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's something where in having those conversations with families is back to what you were mentioning at the beginning, which is if I can have somebody consistent in these times, I'm going to need you to be a little bit more flexible. So that way I can be a little bit more flexible. But what we really want to be careful about is that we're not creating a double standard where we're asking clients to be flexible for us, but we're not making the same sort of flexibility efforts for them. I don't know if I agree with that because I think they are seeking a service and it's certainly in our best interest to be flexible But I think we can stick to our guns on some of this stuff. I think if it's not clinically appropriate, I don't think it makes sense. And certainly when I have somebody seek my services that I just don't have the time to see, I will refer them out. And and I had a client who it was really hard to refer out. She needed at least twice weekly services and coaching calls, and I just didn't have the bandwidth for it. And so I I tried referring her out, and it was really, really tough. Um, But I think... I don't know that I agree that we have to be as flexible as our clients. I don't think it's fair because we need to have a, a business model that we can actually sustain. And so if, if we're, you know, if we're saying I'm going to be as flexible as I can with my schedule and do all the things that 
will get these clients into spots. That's that's a business decision, but I don't know that it's a business decision that everyone has to make. Not I d- don't choose to work on the weekends. Now, there'll be times when I'm flexible for my clients for that, and there are definitely people who want me to be that flexible and are, are in fact, being more flexible with their schedule during the week than I am because that's my business model. I want to hold strong parameters around my schedule and that kind of stuff. So I think that there's this is a complicated issue, I think, in a lot of ways because there's taking care of us as the therapist, which is what schedule can I actually sustain? What can I actually do? How flexible can I actually be? There's the clinical aspects, which is what are smart, you know, effective clinical decisions. And then there's also the business aspects, which is what what's going to make sure that I make enough money and make sure that I, I am able to sustain the business in that way. And so for me, when we look at the laws and ethics surrounding client care, there seems to be a lot of focus on making sure that we do no harm, which I think is extreme, extremely important. But I think that there's this other piece, which really ties back to almost sacrificing ourselves to make sure that this, this client care can happen. And I just, I think that there's a disconnect there. Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. I think that there's a difference between not having flexibility and being as flexible as you can. And mm. the, the distinction that I make there is I see plenty of client complaints and I see plenty of therapists who self-admittedly say, you missed your weekly session. You need to come in twice next week to make up for that. Ooh. I, (laughs) (laughs) okay. I'm not necessarily (laughs) lumping in the, Hey, here's my flexibility for this week. I know it sucks that I only have two other hours available and they probably both fall during your school time or during your work time. But this is what I can offer. I think that that's a healthy boundary when yeah. you're like, if you can't make your normal hour, here, here's what, what is available. Yeah. But when I'm talking about inflexibility, I'm talking like bad decision making as far as like, hey, my, my bank account needs to make sure that it has a certain amount this month because I got a vacation that I'm planning for. That's what I'm talking about when I'm mentioning that inflexibility okay. All is, right. is really off. Okay, I see that. So that leads to, I think we talked some, about some of this stuff in our cancellation policies episode. So, you know, we'll put that in the show notes. But I think there's also this piece of folks 
who will not charge for a no-show if they if somebody reschedules within the week. And that just seems kind of, I mean, that just seems completely business focused. I think it's not smart business-wise anyway, because I think you should charge for missed sessions. But in scheduling and having someone schedule, how much can be about business and how much has to be about clinical, about frequency of treatment? I'm going to sidestep that as a direct question because I don't think that it, it depends is, you know, our, our go-to therapy answer here, but part of how you set up your business practice policies really is going to be dictated by what's clinically best. Mm-hmm. And I think that in certain treatment styles, DBT, for example, that's going to have a group skills learning component as well as yeah. the individual sessions and the coaching calls and that kind of stuff. It's a wonderful model that needs a consistency to it. And yeah. there's a wealth of evidence behind it that's you know very, very robust. And they make decisions based on that, that you need to commit to this because this is what's best for the situation that you're coming in for. Versus a situation that might be even some of the kids in my practice that are coming in for learning some skills dealing with bullying. We'll bring that back around. That, well, early on, it might definitely need to be more consistent. It's something where if that doesn't happen on Tuesday because something else needs to happen on Thursday, I can be flexible in being like, okay, you can go to the end of the week as long as you're giving me kind of my 24-hour cancellation policy as outlined in our guidelines from the very beginning. What our ethics codes really don't want us to do is be making clinical decisions because of the business decisions. They don't want us to be holding on to full-fee clients beyond a clinical need. They don't want us to be locking people into payment areas when they don't need it or when there's no flexibility offered at all in those situations where, well, you missed your weekly spot, so you got to come in twice next week. Yeah. If you're not offering a flexibility there, that's, I mean, it's good practice, whether it's in the ethics code or not to try and have a healthy response to what your clients are, especially as, you know, things like holidays come up and Mm -hmm. have, clients each year around Thanksgiving, around the Christmas, New Year's time where they're traveling, depending on what my professional obligations are at the time, that if I'm not affording them at least some flexibility, it could potentially be six, seven, eight weeks in between sessions because we're trying to either hold to a plan, but during that six or seven or eight weeks, we're in contact as far as like, well, if you can't come in on Wednesday, I've got this Thursday spot, or I've got, I do have Saturday spots. So it's really dependent on this. But what you don't want is that your business policy is to overshadow your clinical practice. I see that. I think there's, there's that piece of, I mean, and I know with like DBT folks, oftentimes they'll have, you know, or when I was doing group, you have, this is what it costs to participate in treatment this this month and this is the type of treatment and so some people will choose to try to schedule two appointments the next week because they want to quote unquote get their money's worth Um, and I think those things can sometimes get confusing because if you set up monthly pricing or if you set up those kinds of things there are 
parameters around it, and it, it could get a lot more complex. And this may be outside of the scope of our conversation today, but oftentimes being able to to have someone commit to a you know a program of treatment, I think can be clinically appropriate. But then there's the pieces of forcing people to pay for sessions and stay and do work based on financial reasons versus on clinical reasons. And so I don't know. Did you want to did you want to speak about this on this on this episode? I'm not a fan of kind of monthly pricing, at least at, at that outpatient sort of level. And mm. I think that in some situations, it makes sense at higher levels of care, but there's a whole host of legal issues that can come in there with offering discounts on bulk sessions of services up front mm-hmm. and basing your pricing on that. And it can get confusing, especially when you sign up as a client at the beginning of that time, if yeah. you understand what you're signing up for. So I'm not a fan of the monthly pricing in the first place. Yeah. And then there's the whole like treatment world and rehab world where they just are like, here's the the fee for 90 days of services. And if you're discharged after 15, too bad. We were keeping the 90 days fees, which is. Yeah, that doesn't also, seem right. No. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think there's ways to navigate it and I think there's probably reasons to do so. I think, you know, I've, I've seen it most successfully described in a DBT program where you pay up front and you're expected to complete the full course of treatment, but then if you don't complete it, then you get, you know, kind of a prorated reimbursement. So there's not that pressure to continue forward if it doesn't seem to be working out, but you don't, you know, you, you don't feel nickel and dimed for every single <laughs> little tiny session or coaching call. And so I think it's I think that there can be reasons why you can do it well, but I think there are parameters to think about. So maybe that's maybe maybe there's another conversation, or maybe we talked about it in our fee setting episode. So we don't need to go into it here. But I think there's times where, and maybe and maybe this one is more of a self care piece. But there's there's times when, and I think you've talked about like if somebody is your client, you kind of have to do what they need or refer them out. But I think it can be very hard. And so I'm going to go back to that one client I was talking about who needed twice weekly sessions and coaching calls that I just did not have the bandwidth for because I really only have a single day, maybe two days in practice, but not not set for people that can actually really do two, two days a week in treatment very well. And so what is my responsibility? Because I made it work for a while because I knew she needed that level of service and I needed to find an appropriate referral. And and once I referred her out, she wanted to come back at one point and I wasn't able to take her and I did not take her because I didn't have the bandwidth. But what is my responsibility to, because I think there's, there's also this piece of like, if someone's suicidal, we just kind of have to be there with them and make sure that they're safe. You know, there's a, at a certain point we do have to sacrifice ourselves and and kind of forego our own needs to be able to do our cl- clinical responsibilities. But at what point can we say, "Hey, this is something I can't continue to do. I need to refer you out, even if there's not an appropriate referral." That's where the complication comes. <laughs> the point where you have that conversation is when it's really apparent that the clinical work is not moving forward. And sometimes we do end up in therapeutic relationships where we're taking somebody on who then uh, decompensates very quickly and requires a whole host more of services and time that wasn't apparent during that initial interview session. And I think that part of what a lot of therapists face earlier in their career is that 
they don't really distinguish an initial interview session from a first session of treatment, that they kind mm-hmm. of combine them into two and start moving into this therapeutic relationship rather than having the confidence at the end of the first session to be like, here's the level of needs that I'm hearing from you. And I'm not able to provide that. And here's kind of the limit of what I am able to provide. And where your situation gets more complicated is looking for a referral who's got different aspects of this. And I think that part of what we should be more confident in doing is referring to treatment teams rather than looking for the unicorn therapist who can provide all of these services to (laughs) have everything that's available there. And I think that that goes into building your network and understanding that even though it might be a little bit more difficult for a client to have two or three people that they're responsive to, even if that's what's better for the client. And I think that that's part of the conversation that you have to have with those clients in that situation is that I might be only able to provide X service to you out of what you need. And if you can't really be able to commit to these other things, then that's not good medical treatment or that's not good therapy treatment. And we need to look at a level of care that you can receive everything that you need so that way you can move past your presenting problem. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. And that's what I did with this client. But I think the problem was she was moving forward with me. I, I, I gouged out space in my very tight schedule to be able to work with her. And she was getting the clinical needs addressed. So for her, it did not make sense because, hey, you're making it work right now. And so I kept talking with her. I kept talk, you know, saying, I'm going to find someone better than me. <laughs> I'm going to find someone who's going to be able to have the space, who's who specializes in this particular need. It was something where I, was, I wasn't clear at the very beginning what it was that she needed. And I didn't, you know, I actually, it took, it took weeks in some ways to, to diagnose the specific need. And so for me, it was something where I was already engaged in this therapeutic relationship. And she needed more than I could give. And so to me, it, it becomes very complicated in that I had done the assessment over three or four weeks. I had realized very early because of the level of suicidality that I needed to do more than once a week. And I realized I probably couldn't manage that. But when I discovered why and, and what was going on, I realized this wasn't a short-term crisis. This was something that was much deeper and it required deeper work. And so I think that's where, for me, there was the personal self-care piece, which was I could help her, but I didn't have the bandwidth. You know, I could carve it out. I could choose not to do something else. And I just, I guess for me, I felt like in some ways that the ethics codes are saying, because she's your client, because you could make it work that you have to. And I just didn't feel like I really could and sustain it. I knew I could do good work. I kept her out of the hospital. Like we were able to to do that. And, you know, in consulting with the psychiatrist, you know, it was something where that was something she had not had before, but I knew that I just could not sustain it personally. Professionally, I could take care of her. Personally, I couldn't do it. This is where 
I'm going to direct everybody to have a good consultation group or set of people that you can go to with your questions and to be able to make some of these decisions earlier on, even as much as I like to pretend that I know everything, that it really (laughs) does help to talk through cases with other people. So that way you're aware of what you might be missing, even on areas where you might be an expert in. Yeah. Consultations, that's that's a good thing. I want to discourage this idea that our ethics codes and even some of the things that I might have said before, even on this very podcast that say that just because you have a therapeutic relationship with somebody doesn't mean that you have to continue that relationship. It's an opportunity to have an appropriate termination when you're no longer able to meet the needs of a client, whether it's professionally, whether it's personally, whether it's structurally with your schedule And many of you are probably going to be facing decisions like these throughout your career, whether it's having kids and adding to your family, whether it's an economic change where you have to take on a job at an agency or something that doesn't allow for you to have the flexibility or the time availability that a client might have. You are allowed to terminate with clients. And I think that when these situations come up, that having and genuine conversation about the reasons why you're terminating, having a good warm handoff to another clinician who would be appropriate and providing enough referrals that a client would be able to pick up their treatment with somebody else. Those are healthy terminations. And I think that we can't get into this idea of I'm I'm stuck in working with these clients forever because I I established something with them. This isn't an excuse for if you have the time and you're able to learn and you're able to provide better services to them that you don't do those things first. But when there's a time or a structural or a personal energy level that goes into why you're terminating therapy, part of that's going to come from your consultations. But part of this is also going to be having a, genuine enough conversation with clients because sometimes in those situations you don't want to be adding more onto what a client's thinking you know katie's in this situation isn't going to be like i don't have enough energy to deal with how suicidal you are (laughs) (laughs) don't don't be that genuine don't be that honest about it but or or even adding and this is a, a separate topic but i don't have the energy to be energy to be able to take care of your suicidality at insurance rates. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely not. You definitely don't say that to your client. No. <laughs> Final thoughts, Katie? <laughs> I think it's something where I, I believe that if people make decisions that are thoughtful, they plan ahead. It, to me, it really sounds like, and this is what we both have been saying basically is, is if we are thoughtful, we plan ahead. If we, if we take care of ourselves while making sure that we're taking care of our clients, that we don't do things that are just around money, but we do things that are both beneficial to our clients and to us. And referring clients out could potentially be the best thing that we have to do for them. I think we're fine. I think it's being able to have a thoughtful clinical rationale for what you're doing that lines up and respects that you're a whole person therapist that has specific needs, that kind of stuff. I think one thing that we were going to talk about, and I kind of popped it into the end, so we maybe need to do another episode, is really talking about, you know, in setting fees, in 
using, you know, using insurance, insurance stuff. I think there's, there's potentially some clinical decisions and business decisions that line up there. So we may need to, to, to pull that whole thing out and, and talk about that another time. Cause I think it is important to address, especially for people like me who have a hybrid, hybrid practice, how we make decisions based on our financial needs too. So, <laughs> so I think well, there's more to discuss here, I guess is what I'm saying to be continued to use a therapist phrase. So check out our show notes for some of the references that we hit on during today's episode. You can find that at mtsgpodcast.com. And you can join us in our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group, and continue on the conversation. Share your stories about things that have come up or even episode ideas that you'd like us to hit on in the future. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code modern gets you two free months.